Bible says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with a mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I want to preach tonight on how to win the war within. How to win the war within. Father, we bow in your presence this evening again. We're grateful to be in your house. We're grateful to have the fellowship with the saints that we have, that we are able to enjoy. And thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters who bear one another's burdens. And Lord, pray one for another and help one another. And Lord, we can't get this in the world. We can't really sometimes even get this with our own flesh and blood. But I'm thankful within the family of God, there is a a camaraderie, there is a brotherhood of saints, and Lord, we have that one thing at least in common, and that is that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and by His blood He has purchased us, and we give Him praise, honor, and glory. Lord, as we look at this text that is before us tonight, I pray for understanding. I pray, Lord, You'd help me to rightly divide the word of truth, and as we really come to the end of this chapter in the book of Romans, that, Lord, You'd help us to kind of bring... Uh, a conclusion to what's been said already and these final statements that that we've read lord you'd give us victory over sin in our lives and lord even though the struggle's real and that'll never cease not till we leave this world lord help us to gain a little insight from your word even this evening that will help us to overcome in the meantime lord we have we ask you lord to have your will and way in all that's said and done and we'll thank you for it in jesus name amen you may be seated How to win the war within. We've been looking at the ongoing battle against sin in the believer's life. We looked at it again this morning. And uh, in these verses, Paul has been explaining the conflict that exists in the life of the Christian. And we've tried to point out examples of that conflict and how we find it even in our own lives. We've been looking here at how that there is a divine nature that God has put inside every one of us that is producing new desires and longings for righteousness and godliness and what is good in the sight of God. And yet, we are still prone to sin because we are carnal. A hymn writer hit the nail on the head when, uh, when they penned down the words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, and he goes on to say, Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Well, that's really the testimony of Paul in these verses. I'm prone to wonder, but Lord, I don't want to wonder. My heart longs for the things of heaven and of home. And so here's my heart, Lord, seal it and keep me from sin. And uh, the reality is we never knew the struggle between the Spirit and the flesh until... We were born again. We never knew the struggle that there is in the believer's life until we became believers. And now that we are saved by the grace of God, we have a keen awareness of sin, don't we? Not just of sin in general, we have a keen, a very keen awareness of our sin, of our shortcomings and its effects upon our lives. We, we know when we sin now. If we're a child of God, uh, you don't sin and not know that you're sinning. 
The Spirit of God in us convicts us of our sins. He chastens us and we are aware of our sin and then that effect it has upon uh, our relationship with God because sin separates. Also our relationship with others. And so becoming a follower of Jesus Christ makes us conscious of these very things. Conscious of sin in our lives. And as a result, we struggle with sin. For conscious of sin's presence and its pull upon us, then we struggle with our sin. We grieve over our sin. We fight our sin. You better be fighting sin because it's fighting you. And as we've already said, it was said by one, uh, one man that uh, either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So we fight it. We condemn our sinful actions. We, we mourn over our failures. We repent of our sin. We confess it to the Lord. And I believe that a true Christian feels the weight of sin in a way that an unbeliever does not, and I'll even go a step further, cannot feel it. And uh, I believe that's true. I believe we've seen that in these verses. As true Christians... We are sensitive to sin. We hate evil. We hate the evil that's in us. And we seek to rid ourselves of its very presence in our lives. We long for that day that we'll be delivered completely from the presence of sin. It's so distasteful to us. We we can't stand the thought of it. And so we distance ourselves from it. We're under grace, and because we're under grace, we long for holiness. Grace produces a longing for holiness, a longing to be Christ-like. Now, when we look at the New Testament, this is not foreign to Scripture, is it? This is not just one one spot right here in the middle of the book of Romans where we find this struggle or any word to us about the believer's awareness of sin in his life and struggle with that sin. In fact, we're reminded of it throughout all of the New Testament. We find that believers become more sensitive to their sin uh, the further they go in their walk with the Lord. I thought it was very interesting. And uh, I I didn't discover this on my own. I was reading and and came across it and, and found it to be true. Paul When he writes to the believers at Corinth, that's one of the earliest epistles that Paul wrote. And in that, as he begins, do you remember what he said? He said, I, Paul, the least of the apostles. And then you go a little further down the life, the journey of Paul. And and Paul, whenever he's writing this letter to those at Rome, he says, Paul, the least of all saints. And then... You get to the end of his life, and he's writing the epistle to young Timothy, and he says, Paul, the chief of all sinners. You see the progression there? Even in his own walk with Christ, his maturity, he saw himself as more and more and more sinful. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. But then he goes on, I'm not just the least of of the preachers, I'm the least of all the saints. And then he says, I'm not just the least of all the saints that that are here, I, I am the chief. I am the worst sinner that's ever lived. And that's true as we go on in our Christian life and we mature in the grace of God, we see our own sin more and more and more. And we see that without Christ, we are nothing. And so we see this progression. 
We find, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, when uh, we sin, that we grieve the Spirit of God. That's what Paul told the believers in Ephesus. He said, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We are to be very careful that we grieve not the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, we find that when we're involved in sin, our lives become powerless. Notice what he says there. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. I fight sin. I don't allow sin to run rampant in my body, in my flesh. But I bring my body under subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That's what made Paul say that I have this tremendous fear of preaching to others the gospel and then becoming a castaway. That word castaway means useless. Useless. You're useless when there's sin in your life. Your preaching, my preaching, is in vain. It has no power, it has no bite. Our testimony as believers has no bite, has no unction, has no affection or effectiveness when we have sin in our lives. We go on when the psalmist said, praise is comely for the upright. See, consequently when we sin, we find that we are even unacceptable in our praise, that Word there, praise is comely. The idea of that word is it is it is acceptable for the upright. He talks about those that are righteous. And none of us want our praise to be unacceptable before the Lord, do we? None of us want our praise to be vain. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 5.25, these very pointed words, your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. I don't think any Christian would choose to have the blessings of God withheld from them. I don't think any one of us has ever prayed, Lord, don't bless me today. I don't need your blessings today. Oh, we're constantly looking for His blessing. And uh, we go further. The psalmist said in Psalm 51, of course, that's David's great confession. When confronted with his own sin, he asked God to restore to him what? The joy of thy salvation. The joy of God's salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Sin had separated him from God and so it had robbed him of his joy and salvation. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12, we find, tells us when believers sin that God chastens them. In 1 Corinthians 3, we find when a believer sins, he is hindered in his spiritual growth. So that the apostle would say in verse 1 and 2, Listen, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual or unto spiritual things, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Do you see what he's saying there? That because the believers at Corinth had sin in their life, and that was the primary reason for the letter to the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of sin that he's addressing. And he says, I wanted to write to you about more spiritually mature things. But I can't do that because you're babes in Christ. And your sin has hindered your spiritual development. That's what sin does. 
This is not something new that Paul is telling us that we have to combat, that we have to fight. He has told us time and time again throughout these epistles, we're told in other places, that the struggle with sin, when we allow sin to gain the upper hand, it hinders us. <laughs> in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says we must have pure lives. We must overcome sin in order to be vessels fit for the Master's use. We're not fit for service when we have sin in our lives. And so when sin is there in our lives, it renders our services limited at best and useless at worst. At the very best, when a Christian has sin in their life, their, their service for God is limited. And of course, at the worst, it's absolutely useless. God has no use for you or me when we have sin in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 11, we read some of those verses this morning in light of the Lord's Supper. We find that sin in the life of the believer there had polluted their fellowship one with another and with God. And that's why the apostle said, but let a man examine himself. Let him purify his own heart before the Lord. We would also find that the latter part of that chapter, chapter 11, verse 30, but also in 1 John you see it, and I think in the first chapter of James you've got the same thing again. And it indicates that when a Christian has sin in their life, they're living in danger of losing their life. They're living in danger of God taking them out of this world for the salvation of the soul, but the destruction of the body. That's how serious sin in the life of a believer is. And how often we are warned to overcome, to win the war within. Furthermore, we could go on and on. I'll give you one more example. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Lord. In other words, if you bring your body into contact with sin, you dishonor God. When I allow sin to take the advantage and I don't struggle and fight it, but I give it place... I dishonor God with my body because it is the Lord's. Now let me just ask a few questions in light of all of these verses. And they're kind of rhetorical, so don't, you don't have to answer. They're rhetorical questions. But which of us tonight would choose to grieve the Holy Spirit? Which of us deep down in our hearts as believers really want to grieve the Spirit of God? I think we could all say none of us. No, I don't want to do that. I don't have a desire to grieve Him. Who wants their prayers to go unanswered? Who desires to have a powerless Christian life? No power to ever overcome. Or who wants to be offering inappropriate praise to God? Praise that God looks at and says, that's not fit for a king. Which of us, when we really look deep, within ourselves as the redeemed people of God would choose to have the blessings of God withheld from us. Joy removed from us. The chastening hand put in their place. Who would want their growth hindered and service limited and fellowship polluted and their own life in danger because of sin? Which of us as believers would long to dishonor God in our body, which is the temple of the Lord? And to that, I believe we would all say, no, not I, preacher, not I. Quite the contrary is the heart of the believer, isn't it? We looked at it already twice last Sunday, this Sunday morning. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. That's what Paul has been pointing out, that when an individual comes to Jesus Christ, there is planted within that individual 
a new creation. They are made a new creature. They have a new nature, a new essence, a new self, a new man, if you will. And that the great heartbeat and passion and cry and longing of a believer is for the things of God. And with it, there is a resentment and a hatred towards sin. Now that pretty well covers verse 14 to verse 23. That's what Paul's been arguing all along. The believer hates his sin, but sin is still present in his flesh. And so a battle is going on. There is a war within We've been looking at that, looking at these verses, trying to expound and go verse by verse, and we've done that. So the great question is, how do I win the war within, preacher? How do I overcome my flesh? How do I make sure that I give place to the Spirit of God in my life? Well, let's look at these verses, and I believe it will help us to understand what we have to do. Notice... Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He starts out, O wretched man that I am. Here's the point. You and I are going to have to realize that we're wretched. We're going to have to realize that without Christ, we are but fallen man. Sinful man in need of redemption. And by the grace of God, the soul and the spirit has been redeemed, but the flesh hasn't. And we need to realize that. We need to realize that we still have this flesh that fights us moment by moment. We've got to realize that we're wretched. That we're miserable. This word wretched, it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's the Greek word that is translated uh, in, uh, in Revelation. Chapter 3, when he's talking to uh, the church there of Laodicea who thought that they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. And he said, knowest not that thou art wretched. (laughs) So two times it's used. Here Paul's using it to refer to himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. The idea of this word wretched, it means a man of enduring trial. Well, that's the Christian life, isn't it? It's a life of enduring trial from trial to trial to trial until victory comes. That's what we're doing. We're going from one trial to another trial to another trial. And in each trial, God has a lesson for us to learn. And until we learn our lesson in that trial, we won't advance to the next trial. Hallelujah, there's coming a graduation day one day when we graduate to heaven and there is no more trials. And that's what the life of the believer is. It's enduring trial. The word here literally means a man of misery. <laughs> Do you feel like sometimes you're just miserable in this world? Miserable. A man that's prone to wonder, as the hymn writer again said it. Paul is saying, I realize how miserable I am. He realized that without God, he could do nothing. And beloved, we must realize that. We must realize that without God's divine intervention in our life, not just in salvation, but every day of our life, we are miserable human beings. We're wretched. Remember, this is the testimony of a saint. This is the testimony of somebody that was facing this in the present tense. In the moment he writes these words, he realizes, he recognizes 
how miserable, how wretched he really is. I think sometimes we've lost sight of this in the day and age we live in with all of the, you know, self-help books and, uh, you know, all of the promotion of having a high self-esteem and self-opinion of your self-worth. And though I would be one of the first to advocate the worth of a human being, the worth of a life, we are all created in the image of God, as image bearers of God. We all have been uh, given great worth. We uh, are all extremely valuable. But, beloved, to think of ourselves in that light is not the way that a Christian should think of themselves. A Christian realizes what they are. A Christian realizes that without Christ, they are a sinful, wretched, miserable person. The Puritans really fought the idea of thinking highly of yourself. Maybe they went even a little too far in the opposite direction. They uh, were constantly loathing themselves to the point that they seemed to have no joy in their life. And yet I believe we've erred in the opposite side of those things, that we so think highly of ourselves that we never loathe this life and this flesh. He says, oh, wretched man. And then he asks a question in verse 24. Makes a statement, asks a question. You see it, explanation point, question mark. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice, he doesn't ask what shall deliver me. He says who. We need to keep that in mind. Where is his problem? Is it in his what? Or is it in the the who? His problem is in himself, and his only hope is going to come from the person of Jesus Christ. It says, who shall deliver? That word deliver means to rescue. Who's going to rescue me from myself? It's used to denote the act of a soldier in the heat of battle who runs to his comrade in the midst of battle and rescues him, delivers him, rescues him from the enemy. And the body of death... It's very interesting. It literally refers to the body which is subject to sin and death. It is the unredeemed mortality. Again, it is this flesh that we drag around with us that we need God to save us from, to rescue us from. It's an interesting thing I found here. Paul being from... From Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, he was from Tarsus. And uh, there was a practice in Tarsus, and it's believed by a lot of Bible scholars and historians that when he says this, this question, he asked this question, that he had this in mind, and I thought it was really interesting. It was, it was recorded in history that near Tarsus, where Saul was born, there was a tribe of people who inflicted the terrible penalty upon a murder a murderer this is the penalty that was inflicted upon anybody that was found guilty of murder listen to it when a person murdered someone it was their custom to fasten the dead corpse to the murderer they would fasten them face to face nose to nose chest to chest thigh to thigh and foot to foot that was the punishment until the decay of the dead body had killed the murderer 
They fastened it so tight where the bond was so, so tight that they could not free themselves from the carcass. And in just a few days, that's all it took for the corruption of death from the body that had been killed to pass to the living body of the murderer and eventually take his life. Paul looks at himself and he sees that in his own case... That he is face to face with his old flesh. That he is chest to chest, thigh to thigh, if you will. He, he, is, he is as close as he can be to something that is dead and corrupt and killing. And he cries, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? This was the penalty of death. And Paul relates to that. And he says, that's what the Christian life is like. My soul and spirit has been set free and given life, but I am still connected to this flesh, this body of death. And it reeks. And, it, and it's constantly bringing corruption into my life. And I can't break free of it. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Is there any hope? Well, I'm glad there is hope, aren't you? Verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The attitude of the Apostle Paul changes in verse 25. I don't know if you pick up on that. Oh, I mean, it goes from gloom and doom to joy and anticipation. He goes from being under it. I mean, he is... He is expressing the heart of a man who is aware and acquainted with his grief and his sin. And he says, I'm miserable. To all of a sudden, he is excited. This is the first time that Paul has changed from I, 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 and me, me, me. To what does he say here? Our our Lord. I want to tell you right now, if you get your eyes on your condition to the extent that that's all you dwell upon, you'll never have any joy, any excitement, any hope, any anticipation in your life. You'll walk around with a pooch lip dragging the ground thinking about how terrible you are and how terrible life is and you'll be useless in the hand of God. I'm saying we need to realize our case, but we don't dwell on that. Realize that you are a wretched individual in need of God's mercy and in need of Christ to help you to be the Christian God wants you to be. But then lift up your eyes unto the hills whence cometh our salvation. Our help cometh from the Lord. Look up to God. That's what Paul is doing. He says here, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's getting his eyes set upon God again. That sounds like triumph to me, doesn't it you? He's talking about assurance here. What are you saying, Paul? Is this some mystical kind of, of thing? How do we get deliverance from this conflict that you've described? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how you get deliverance. What would he have in mind, I wonder? What's he got in mind when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the answer to the question that he's asked. Well, I believe what he has in mind is expressed in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. So that's where we're headed. He's expressing that throughout the 8th chapter. In fact, look at verse 18. We'll, we'll, we'll jump ahead just a little bit. Verse 18 of chapter 8. We're going to get into this later. 
Notice what he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. My wrestling with this wretched man, as bad as it is, as awful as it is, as heartbreaking as it is, this doesn't even compare to what God has in store for me when I get to heaven, so I'll just keep fighting. You know, in light of glory, in light of all that God has for His people in store for them, what we experience in this life and our battle with the flesh, really it's not all that bad. And then he talks about the creation waiting for that full manifestation. Drop down to verse 23. And not only they, that that is not only the creation groans and travails waiting for the glory of God to be revealed, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the new creation. We have the eternal seed. We have the divine nature. And it's there in us, but even we ourselves groan within ourselves. That's what he says, verse 23, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. You see, notice he says body. Soul and spirit has been redeemed, but the body has not. We're waiting for that final phase of salvation. When we are saved from the presence of sin and from the flesh of this body. We're still hoping for that day. We're still uh, uh, trusting and, and looking to that day when we'll be fully freed and redeemed in the body as well as in the soul. And I believe that's what Paul's looking at forward to in verse 25 when he has this, this answer to the question, I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One day we're going to be delivered, beloved. He says the end of the conflict is going to come. The battle is going to cease. The war is going to be over. How? By what means? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us. That's how the end of that battle came for the soul and for the spirit. When we were in sin and darkness and were contrary to the things of God, God brought peace and reconciliation through the Word, through the gospel of hope and the gospel of peace. It was through our Lord Jesus Christ that we were saved. And it will be through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are delivered from this flesh. And it's going to come. When? When He appears. When He appears to all them that are looking for His coming. And so Titus would say that that is the hope. That's the blessed hope. It is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. It's going to come when He appears and when we're glorified and when we enter into His presence. That's when the end comes. That's when the end of the battle is. So preacher, you're supposed to be telling us how we win the war within. I'm getting there. But you're not going to do it without realizing what you are. And you're not going to get there without looking to Jesus Christ and Him alone for victory. Victory doesn't come in self-help books or the latest New York bestseller on how to be a better Christian. It doesn't come that way. It comes through Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Here it is. When this corruptible or this corruption shall have put on what? Incorruption. 
And when this mortal shall have put on what? Immortality. That's when, he says in verse number 57 of 1 Corinthians 15, that we are going to be delivered. We're going to be set free. This battle is going to be over. And here in verse 25, he says, Thanks be unto our Lord Jesus Christ. There in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See the similarity there? That's what he's ascribing to the believer. That this blessed hope, that this deliverance, that the end of this battle comes when we drop this robe of flesh and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while going through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. That's when we're going to get victory, complete victory over the flesh. And so he says here, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's going to happen the same day that we see this corruption put on incorruption and this mortality put on immortality. So here Paul is looking ahead, isn't he? He's looking ahead to the time of redemption. And he says, I see it. Can you see it? I see it coming. I'm living in hope that indeed it will come and I will be delivered. And we look for that day. Same day he had in mind in the book of Philippians. When we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body, is the word he uses there, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's the triumphant hope, isn't it? A glorified body through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, meanwhile, in verse 25, until then, notice what he says. So then... That's the idea of the word there, so then. It says that, that means meanwhile. In the present moment. See, he's bringing us back to where he's at. He's got a glimpse of that day, that glorious day, when we, through our Lord Jesus Christ, are delivered from this body. He says, but meanwhile. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now what he's doing at the end of verse 25 is he's not giving up. He didn't get a, a glimpse of the hope of glory and then say, but until then, I just in my mind I'm going to love God, but in my flesh I'm going to sin. That's not what he's saying. He's simply giving a conclusion, like a good Baptist preacher. He's bringing it all down. He's, he's putting it in a nice one little statement package with a bow on top. He's saying this is the conclusion. Until the day that Jesus delivers us from this world, this is what he's saying, the battle goes on. <laughs> the battle goes on. Say, preacher, I came back tonight just because you said you were going to tell me how I can win the war within, and you still haven't told me anything that's going to help me. Well, I believe... There's a lot more being said here than what we realize. He's saying here that until that day, the battle goes on and it goes on as long as we remain in the flesh and we continue to cry with a great writer of day gone by, Mr. Tennyson, all oh, for a new man to arise within me and subdue the man that I am. 
So the battle isn't going to be over till Jesus gives us immortality and incorruption. Full deliverance awaits glorification. And until we're glorified, we'll never be fully delivered. That's the point that Paul is making. So the fight goes on. The battle goes on. But that's not to say that we can't experience victory here and now. And here it is. Are you ready? I've already said it in the message. If you were listening, you picked up on it. Number one, realize what you are. Because only in realizing your need for Christ will you ever call upon Christ. We have to live with a constant state of mind that we are wretched, miserable, sinful creatures. And at our very best day, we're still fallen humanity with a sin-cursed flesh that will plague us and try to pull us back to sin. We have to realize that. we got to stop with the nonsense of this world saying that you're really not all that bad. You're a good person. You're just a product of your environment. You're a product of your circumstances. No, we're all sinners because our head, Adam, our father, he was a sinner. We've got to realize that. We've got to stop listening to philosophy and pop culture, and we need to listen to the Bible. When Paul says, O wretched man that I am, put you there. And you can say it, O wretched man, O wretched woman, I am. Realize that. Because until you do, you're not going to get help. But then remember. This is the second thing you do. Remember. Remember what? Remember God. Remember the God that gave you victory in your soul and your spirit that redeemed you and saved you and brought you out of sin and gave you a position in Christ. Remember that He is able to deliver you both eternally at the end of your life, but also in this life. He is able to give us victory in this life. Remember that. And that's what Paul is doing. Verse 25. He stops. He's in the middle of talking about how awful he is and how great the struggle is. And then he remembers God and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He remembered his God. Is that not the testimony of almost every saint of God throughout the Bible? Go back to the, to the earliest of the Old Testament scriptures and start reading. That was Job, the first book ever written in the history of man. And there, Job, going through the greatest trial, greater than any man on earth has ever suffered aside from our Lord and Savior. And there, Job, having lost his family, having lost his health, having lost his belongings, what does he do? He remembers God. He begins to call upon God again. And that's what we have to do. And everyone since then, you can go to the Hebrews Hall of Faith, chapter 11. Each one of them, they remembered their God. And by faith, they were able to overcome. Remember who God is. And remember that Jesus Christ was victorious and you can be as well. And repent. Here's the third thing, repent. Repentance is not just for the sinner who's calling upon the Lord to be saved. But it is an active part of every Christian's life. We are called to repent. We're repenters. That's what separates the Christian from a lost man is when we mess up, we repent of it. We seek to never do it again. We fight it and we confess it to the Lord. Paul's telling us that we're going to have to repent. We're going to have to confess our sins to the Lord, but we're going to have to repent. 
We're going to have to fight it with everything we have. And that's a part of repentance is fighting our sin. Listen, this is not repentance. Doing your sin and then feeling guilty about it and saying, well, I'm not going to do that no more. And then the next day doing it again. You didn't repent. You had a guilty conscience. You felt bad about it. But over time, you kind of soothed your conscience. And you haven't had a change of heart, change of mind, or a change of action about your sin. Repentance is not just a moment saying, well, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, Lord. It's really realizing the seriousness and the heinous of our sin, going before the Lord in prayer and asking God to forgive us, and having a change of heart about our sin, whether it means going to the Scriptures and reading the Word of God and seeing again afresh what God has to say about it, and truly having a heart of repentance and turning from it. That's the third thing. Number four, rely on the Lord. And really, that's again what Paul's saying in verse 25. He is, he is saying that I have come to just trust in Jesus. I rely upon Him because without Him I can do nothing. So we realize, we remember, we repent, we rely on our Savior to give us grace to overcome. How? Because He overcome. Will He do it? Well, indeed He will. Because as Paul's attitude changes, you'll see it in chapter 8. And at the end of chapter 8, he says, We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave our, Himself for us. And that, the idea that more than conquerors, it means a hyper. The word more is hupo in the Greek, where we get the word hyper from. It's hyper overcomers. Overcoming there, it carries the idea to being victorious. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We overcome. By God's grace, we don't sin as much as we used to sin. And when we do, we do repent. We rely on our Savior. And then fifth and lastly, realize, remember, repent, rely, and then reload. Because the enemy's coming again tomorrow. You might have repented of it today, but you better reload because he's coming. How foolish would it be for a man in combat to fire at the enemy at the end of the day, think, well, the war's over. Not reload, not, not refuel, not, not get gear. So that's our problem. We'll come in on Sunday morning and we get, man, we get our magazine loaded. We're ready to go out there and, 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 and go to war with the enemy. Get through Monday, man, we do pretty good. Get through Tuesday, oh man, I'm, I'm starting to struggle. We get to Wednesday and maybe we come back to church Wednesday night, we get a little bit more ammo in our magazine and we go back out. But by Friday and Saturday, man, we're dragging. But listen to me, that ain't the way it ought to be. You ought not just be getting your ammo at church. You ought to be getting it every day of the week. You know how you're going to overcome? You know how you're going to win the battle within? The war that's going on in your flesh, you're going to have to get in this book every day. Every day. You're going to have to get on your knees every day. Yes, every day. And by that, I'm, I'm proverbial. You don't necessarily have to get on your knees to pray. Pray while you're driving down the road. Just keep your eyes open. Pray when you're sitting in your easy chair at home. Just try not to fall asleep. But if you do, that's all right. I don't know of any better way to go to sleep. Go to sleep, pray, and when you wake up, start praying again. So I might repeat myself. That's all right. Lord knows all about it anyway. Just talk to Him. Pray. 
pray, read the Bible. That's how we reload. That's how we get instruction. That's how we're fed. That's how the spiritual man gets stronger and the flesh gets weaker. We stay in the Word and we stay on our knees and we look to God and we rely upon Him. We reload because we're in a fight. And the battle goes on until we get to heaven. So keep fighting. So often we... We don't read our Bible, and we don't pray, and so the spiritual man becomes weak. And in its place, we, we watch entertainment, and we listen to all that's going on in the world. Look, I'm not against you having a TV show you like to watch. I'm not saying that. But have it in its proper place. Have your priorities in line, and make time for God. Make time for the Word. Make time for prayer. Because if we don't, and all we do is fill our lives with the things of this world, then that's what our flesh craves. Because we're of this world, and our flesh will gain the upper hand. And we'll then start to give in to the lusts of the flesh. goes back to what he said in Galatians. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. How do I walk in the Spirit, preacher? Get in the book and stay in fellowship with God, communicating with Him in prayer, letting Him communicate to you through His Word. And that's how you feed the spiritual man. That's how the Spirit overcomes. It's really such a simple song, but it carries such a weight of truth. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. We sing that with the kids at VBS. Maybe we should sing it with the adults on Sunday mornings. What an object lesson it has. What a reminder that we are in a battle. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep fighting. So realize what you are. Realize that. Realize you need God. Without Him, you cannot do anything. We do, don't we? We need Him. Remember. Remember that God gives the victory. Repent. When sin does come, because it's going to, and that's what Paul's saying. So throughout our life, we're going to constantly be faced with our flesh, and we're going to be tempted to serve the body of sin, the law of sin by our flesh. Repent when you do. Rely on God, keep trusting Him and looking to Him, and reload. And that's how, by the grace of God, you can win the war that is within. Let's bow our heads tonight.